Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. been an awakening. Have you felt it? This 
is the Next Reels Film Board, everybody. Each month, a gang of thugs gathers to take on one film currently in theaters and spoil that film rotten. This month, it's all aboard the Star Killer with Ray, Finn, Kylo, and the gang in J.J. Abrams' entree into our grand mythology with Star Wars The Force Awakens. I'm Pete Wright, and making up the gang, Steve Sarmento. Red 5, standing by. Justin J.J. Yeager. Back at it again. Tommy Handsome, welcome. It's a trap. <laughs> And Andy Nelson. Watch it, <laughs> Before we get into the film, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com slash filmboard. Subscribe to the show for free in iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And be sure to join us on The Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag Guess the Movie Challenge with our favorite games master, Stephen Smart. New contest going on weekly, and this is it. We are doing our drawing for our annual Pony Prize giveaway very soon. So this is the last chance you can get in on that sweet, sweet pony action. <laughs> First, we do have some follow-up. We have some filled board follow-up, right, Andy? Yes, we do, Pete. Yes, over on Letterboxd, uh, on our Letterboxd account, uh, Rakesh Raja left us a note. I'm a huge fan of your podcast, and I was curious if your guys' opinion on Gravity has changed since its release. I know recently it has it's gotten a lot of backlash due to its simple story. I think it actually has some great crossover to the kind of stuff that we're going to talk about today with the new Star Wars movie. And I think... Uh, it hasn't lost any of its luster for me because I think it is Gravity in particular is such a special, small story. It, it, I wasn't here for that film board episode, but I did watch it and review it to go with you know my work here with the film board, and I think it's still great. It's really still high on my list. I was kind of curious where it fell on our chart and why it's there in that position, and so I looked at it, and it has been a number one on our chart for over two years. Right? Wow. That was that Ooh. was 2013. Number November. one. November. Huh. And since we've since then we've reviewed seven films that have entered our top ten that have not dethroned it. So our top ten is is pretty heavy with 2014, 2015 films. And I thought, okay, maybe it's being shielded by Edge of Tomorrow, which is right up there at number two, and sure. things start to get close to Edge of Tomorrow and get knocked down. Possibly. But really, I think, you know, as JJ said, this this film has an enduring value that just it's not just the spectacle. I think if you go back and listen to our reviews, we, there was a lot of the experience of seeing that in the theater. You know, those of us that saw it in Atmos and just that immersive experience um, that we all came away with from that film. But I, you know, upon reviewing that film, you know, seeing it again on, you know, DVD, for me, it still holds up. It's still a great film. It's a simple story just told very, very well. It's so cinematic, again, something that we're going to be getting into later in this podcast, uh, to take a small story and make it so visual and so heart-pounding and scary and hopeful and all that stuff at times. I think that that's exactly what movies are made for. So, And it saved us from having to talk about the council, <laughs> if you remember. So, so that's a win-win. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think that it, it may be a simple story, but there's something about a simple story that can uh, really get to you emotionally. And I think it has that emotional power in a very exciting way. So um, I I think it definitely fits up there still. I did watch it again uh, at home, and it didn't have that same uh, kind of impact, but I still found it a, a terrific experience. And it, it, it dramatically changed uh, my connection to it because there wasn't the sensory overload of it. And I found myself, I think, more connected with the, the character experience and, um, uh, than, than I was even the first time I saw it because of, you know, the, the kind of lack of flash and dazzle. And so I, I thought it was good. I think, it, uh, I think it's in a good place. Anyhow, so that's where we are. Uh, and I, I hope that is, is good. Thank you so much, Rakesh 
Raja for writing in. That is a great question, and thank you so much for listening and um, and participating. We appreciate it. So here we go. Uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So round the horn, a two-parter. There are, there are two questions here. How'd you like this film? As it as to whether or not it met your expectations as a reboot or or kind of launch of this next round of the franchise, right? That's number one, and number two, how well did it live up to your hopes as a fan? I'm going to answer the second part first, and the first part second. Nice. You're already cheating. Dark side, crazy. <laughs> well, I, I already because dark I, side. <laughs> so I I did manage to you'll have no idea you won't believe me i've been able to avoid pretty much everything other than the first teaser i don't I'm, 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 a, I'm a cable cutter so i rely on hulu and netflix for tv shows and movies so no network tv none of that i actually have paid the extra for hulu commercial free so we're pretty much an advertisement free household when going to the theater if Trailers were coming up, and it was Star Wars. I was shielding my eyes, fingers jammed in my ears. That's got to be just a little embarrassing like with your family. I don't care. They, they knew what I was doing. Uh, so as a fan going in, I really feel like I truly experienced this just like I experienced Star Wars A New Hope 40 years ago. As just going in, like, here's a movie about some outer space stuff. And so as a fan, it lived up to my hopes. It was like I was a kid again. I had a tremendous time with this. As I was walking out of the theater, I, I heard somebody getting up from their seat say, say, look at the screen and say, yep, that was a Star Wars movie. And that just, I think, encapsulated everything I felt about that film. And I, I, I want to spend a little bit more time, we can maybe get into it, that, that first part about it, the reboot and sort of how it's the third cycle of the stories. And uh, to me, it, it did what it needed to do. It, it balanced how we have a hero's journey story while maintaining the connection to that prior existing universe. Uh, there is a gap, you know, between cycles. And so there's, there's gaps of information, which I'm, I'm fine with it. It's like starting anew, but being familiar. And I had a great time with it. I'm so happy this movie got the JJ Abrams treatment. I'm going to go the same route that, uh, that Steve went in that um, my expectations as a fan were, were met by that in that it, really feels like a great reboot. The, one of the things that I kind of am hoping to talk about is the choice of whether it's a sequel, whether it's part seven, or whether it's a new restart for the franchise, because that's what it feels like. And that's what J.J. Abrams did so well uh, in the, the Star Trek universe and, uh, and, and paid the correct homage and made it feel all right. But it's not perfect. There are some things that are missing. It may be okay that it's missing those things. It may be speaking to the right place for us now. It met my expectations and as a fan. I was perma-smile throughout the whole thing um, mm -hmm. and, and wistful and happy and excited and giddy throughout the, the movie. Um, and as, as a reboot, I think it's a choice. And I'm happy with the choice. Um, but it did lose some things in going that route too. So it's... It's not the same necessarily magical feeling that I had when I saw A New Hope, which I didn't see in the theater, but um, but that's something that we can talk about too. It's a choice, and I'm really happy with the choice, and I think it's a great movie, and it's something that's it's going to be great to talk about today too. Oh, what? I didn't see it. I saw Jurassic <laughs> World again, but you guys have a great podcast. No. Um, 
I, I'm a little bit of a different way to answer like Steve did, uh, Dark Side, to answer the second first. I'm in a little bit different of a situation because while I loved Star Wars growing up, at some point my heart died and <laughs> I lost some of the excitement for this. Uh, I don't know if it's because it's spaceships and that kind of stuff and fantasy creatures and I lost my taste for that. I'm not sure. But I'm trying – I wasn't a, like a, a Grinch about it. Um, but I wasn't as – I guess my expectations weren't too high, which probably helps. And along with that, I felt like it relied so much, A, on nostalgia, which I could then feed off of people in the theater whenever an old character would show up. Everyone burst into applause. It was adorable. And so I could feed off of their excitement for that. Past that, I was really distracted by how similar the story was to Star Wars we've seen before. And this goes to the idea of a restart or a reboot versus a sequel. A droid with a hidden message, a young person strong with the force that lives on a sand planet, the Death Star 3000, like it's, it was so much of that, I felt myself being really distracted by that and wondering why they didn't want to really try to tell a real different story. I, I can see Tommy's point. I, I definitely can. Um, and I think from what I've seen of reviews, that seems to be kind of the biggest complaint is that it does feel so much like a reboot of or rehashing almost of uh, a new hope the the way that the story is laid out but that being said i didn't that didn't bother me at all i mean i felt uh you know as a fan i really felt like they just they told a, a great story with great characters i had just so much fun from beginning to end watching it i was just wholly invested in all the characters and and the world building they did here i just really enjoyed um i just i got into it all the way through and all of those things that uh, that I kn- I knew people could probably complain about and would and have um, it just didn't bother me at all. It's just it's not stuff that for me I felt created any problem, and um, I, I actually really liked that it kind of took that story and almost created a, a new mythology for uh, you know years later as far as these characters are concerned to kind of follow in their footsteps. And I, I really liked that. So I, I'm all for it. I think it's a, a great step forward in this franchise, and I can't wait to see where they go from here. I think if I'm if I'm putting on the sort of critical face, that's definitely where I go, that it, it's the kind of rehashing, rebooting the story. You know, we've, we've seen it uh, a very, very similar story, not just once, but twice before in, in both uh, Jedi and A New Hope. Very similar sort of nick, in time, nick of time, stolen plans, drop the shields, do the trench run, save the day. But at the same time, this movie, I mean... Who cried? Come on. Oh, multiple times. Multiple times. I was a mess in this film. And from the first start, a a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, to just about the end of the crawl when I recuperated and was able to see again, uh, and, and then multiple times throughout many of the big cues. I was a mess. It it had me emotionally from the very beginning and did not let go. And uh, so it's it is very difficult to to be at all sort of critical. And and um, so I I that's that's kind of the gravity lag that I'm a little bit worried about. That I may be just sort of giving it uh, giving it too much of a pass. Um, but I uh, found myself just adoring it and actively frustrated with people who were critical of it. So I hope that. <laughs> I'm, I hope that I'm Tommy. able to. to I know let that's that why go. I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good thing we have Tommy. Hooray! <laughs> uh, we should say this is this is one of those movies that is really uh, it, it's it's not 
it, it's just not fun to see if you know the, the spoiler. And we this is what we do here as we spoil movies. So seriously, we haven't spoiled it yet, but we're going to spoil the movie from here on out. We're going to talk about points that you should not listen to if you haven't seen it. And uh, you will enjoy it more if you take my word for it. Um, pass this podcast. Go, listen to it again after you've seen the movie and and come back to it. Uh, but you you have been warmed from here on out. Spoilers ensue. Should we start with the 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 reboot angle before we dig into some of the the specifics? Because I I think that's an important question to kind of put out of the way. That part is is kind of disappointing to me. I hear what you're saying, Pete, about it's uh, it, it's kind of difficult to be critical of it when you're so happy that it was treated so appropriately. But it's, I mean, I, I'm gonna be way into hyperbole when I say it's the same movie as A New Hope. It's it it's literally the same movie. And if that bothers you at all, if that if that's the 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 P under your uh, you know mattresses, you're gonna really not like this. Um and if I if I ruminate on those pieces of this movie, it it feels cheap. But but J.J. Abrams does that well. And, you know, I mentioned the Star Trek thing because I love what he did there. Um, the reason in my opening remarks I said it's not perfect is because as as a fan, I was hoping for something new. It, it's, it's not that. It's just more bigger and better than what you had before if you like J.J. Abrams' style of movie. It's, it's more, and when I say what you had before, I'm talking about episode four. The thing about it is, it's still good. It's still great. And we've been treated so poorly with episodes one, two, three, that this is such a grand reawakening of the Star Wars franchise that I think people are going to be happy with it. I was. But if I think about that reboot angle, it's, I, 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 didn't, I wasn't happy about that. I, I want something new. And I think that hopefully we're going that direction in 789. I'm with you on your point that it's the same movie. I mean, it, you know, I may not go quite that far, but, um, but it's, it's a very similar movie to A New Hope. Uh, and yet I loved A New Hope so much. Like I thought it was structurally, I, I, I adored it and I still adore it. And and seeing that story again in the hands of a different filmmaker, I adore it equally. Like I, they're just—it's—it's it's great to see it. It's great to sit next to my kids and and watch it that way. Disney knows you love it. They do. That's unfortunate. But you know what's even more interesting? As much as I was not a huge fan of the prequels, uh, I do love that they were different. They attempted to tell a different part of the of the timeline of the story, and I really liked that. Right. Uh, and that I I didn't think I was as aware of that as as I was until I walked out of the Force Awakens. See, it's tough for me because I only love the prequels. <laughs> like, what if I was so contrary and I'm the only person on earth that's like the real movies one, two, and three? <laughs> no, I mean, in part, could it be? I mean, apart from being a reboot or restart, is it also potentially a let's just wash away one, two, and three and get things so back on track that we need to remind people this is a Star Wars movie. This is what it's like. For me, they went too far in the idea of retelling the same story with way too many uh, same things. But it could also be that. Play it a little bit of a safe bet to say it's in the right hands now. We know what we're doing and we're going to get it back on track. I don't see this as the same. Yes, there's there's common story elements, but that's just like saying – well, in, in speaking to the enjoyment of it, is saying like, well, I don't need to see Fast and the Furious 5, 6, 7 because it's just guys in cars stealing stuff and on the road. Or 
I don't need to see another Die Hard movie because it's just Bruce Willis saving things. It, it's, it is, it has those common elements because that's what it does. It's, it's giving us, that's what a good film does. It gives us what we expect, but it gives us that in a new way. And to me, it did that. I mean, I, I'm sitting there, I'm watching the opening crawl, and then it's Field of Stars, and then Pan Down to Planet. And then I'm like, okay, it's, it's, a ship's going to come across. But in this film, it does it differently than the ones we've seen before. We've got this, you know, the planet gets completely obscured. We, yes, we have a desert planet, but we don't have, we don't start with two droids. We start with a droid. But we're, I'm getting those familiar things, but they're twisted just enough in the storytelling to make them new that I enjoy it because it's, it's bringing it back to, as, as Tommy said, it is almost washing all of that away because we're back at a place where it's just good versus evil. The, the rebels versus the forces of evil. We don't have the Senate and politics and all this other stuff going on. Th- to me, that muddled up those episodes one, two, and three. This is just at its core, good, the forces of light, fighting the forces of darkness. And that's what I loved in these. And it just, it gave me what I wanted, but it kept it fresh. And I can't remember at what point in the story, I just thought, oh my gosh, we must be at least an hour and a half into this. I want three more hours of this. Because yeah. I was just having such a great time. I said, please don't let this end now. Please don't let this end now. I could stay here all day. I love these characters. I love these worlds that we're going to. I I just want more of this. I will take more. Bring it on. Bring it on. Except oh. I, I love your enjoyment of it. And I apologize. And I'm going to keep my annoyingness to a, uh, a minimum. I'm going to try to. But it's not like in Fast and the Furious 7. I don't think this is going to work, but I'm going to try this. It's not like in Fast and the Furious 7 we met a new young Vin Diesel <laughs> and figured out his entire backstory that led him to be exactly who Vin Diesel is. Like Fair. it's really close. Sand Planet. Force is strong with her. She finds she gets the calling. She learns the force in five minutes, but that's a side note. Uh, mm. But I mean, it's really close. But, New Death Star. New Death be... Star. It's not a Death Star. It's a star killer. It's very different. It's like Vanilla Ice and Queen, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not dun 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 dun. dun. It's dun 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 dun. dun. Right. <laughs> that's perfect for me. So, Tommy, to your point, we're getting the hero's journey again. Yes, they could have maybe perhaps said could have been a young girl born in a rainforest planet, all that, you know. So, do I am I going to let those things get to me? No, I'm going to set that aside because to me, it's it's again bringing it back to the familiar of that. And so, I yeah, I saw that there were a lot of parallels, uh, but I said this is the hero's journey. This is the story I want to see of a, a new character, you know, as this third cycle begins of going on a new adventure with somebody because I know that that opens up so many story possibilities for me, but with the common touchstones that keep me rooted into where we are in the story and where things are going. Well, and that makes tons of sense. And I love a hero's journey, yeah. I guess maybe for me, and this, I won't keep harping on it, but the hero's journey didn't need to be uh, a young person on a sand planet with a missing family who finds a droid with a hidden message and meets the resistance in the Republic or whatever it is as a result. I like touchstones. I like a hero's journey. I think there's different ways to do it. This one was just really close. I think we can go to to that scene that you're talking about, Tom, when you talk about um, Ray discovering the Force. Because I I was talking actually to my nephew about this today, about that scene um, where they have the mind battle 
right? Um, and to someone who isn't in love with the Star Wars mythology or who doesn't have the affection of what's going on in that scene and doesn't really think about the force, all the stuff that you can't see, that scene is ridiculous. But if you do connect with the mythology, if you really care about the force, which is just ridiculous, but I do, so I can put myself in that. I loved that scene because I was getting in there with her. I, I, I mean, that I, that I loved that she connected with the force quicker than Luke, who was a pansy in four and five, right? She's more powerful. And the dynamic between Kylo Ren and Rey is interesting in the way that it flips that coin from what we saw in four, five, six, and the dynamic of the force awakening in those characters. I loved that, but I can totally understand for someone who isn't as affectionate about this mythology, why that would suck. And that I think may be indicative of what we're talking about for this greater part of this, this reboot. Well, and, and that, I remembered my point, which ties in with that, I think. J.J. Uh, did a great job with the first Star Trek reboot, and then the second one I felt was way too much of a re- retread um, going back to the story of Khan. And that story had been done really well the first time, and there was no reason to go back and do it a second time. Agreed. And that would be a concern of mine is that J.J. can't... That's something that he has kind of all of a sudden kind of become is this guy who can do really good retreads of things. And uh, not that I want to say that this is nothing but just a, a, just a retread of, of episode four, despite this discussion. But I, I think that um, from here moving forward in this new uh, series that they're, they're doing, I think it's, uh, it's a great decision on their part and J.J.'s part to not have him helming all three of these, but to have different directors bringing each one to the table, which I think is going to help kind of keep that from happening uh, and i mean honestly I, I really as much as people might say this is a retread of episode four um i, I really don't expect the next two to be retreads of episodes five and six i think yeah. that would just be way too much this is a great two death stars <laughs> <laughs> this is a great way to restart this story and uh, with kind of that classic hero's journey, with a lot of touches from uh, the Star Wars we all know and love, that really gets it onto the right track, I think. And then I think from here forward, I think they're going to just keep moving in new directions that will constantly surprise us and make us just fall more and more in love with the series. I believe you know, that you too. Know, it's, you know, it's interesting. I walked out of there thinking about the other times this has happened, right? And both of those times that I that I was that came to mind immediately were Star Trek. And the first one is obviously we've already mentioned. It's the reboot of Star Trek, doing it in an alternate timeline, right? La- just latching on to the to the space time continuum in order to give us a clean slate. And I think most of us bought it, right? That 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 worked pretty well. And now we have the relief of having, uh, you know, a new frontier before us and that's that's one of the reasons why I think the con story was disappointing is because you had such a great opportunity to do whatever you wanted to do and you did con you know so I, I was sort of done with that the other time that they that they did this in the Trek universe that I felt was really terrible was Star Trek generations uh, where they they tried to do the cast handoff thing and that, I feel like it, they did really well in this film, right? That, it, that we, we actually have the melding of these two casts, and at no point did it feel like a gimmick to me. Uh, it, it felt very legitimately like we're looking at the next generation under the custodianship of the past generation, and it felt 
Okay. They actually made it a generational story where we actually got the son of Han Solo and and General Leia. I I think that that was a, one of the strengths is that they actually were able to tie these casts together in a in a great way like that. It's so cool how you just immediately say General Leia. Like that's so like that's so beyond me. <laughs> I love that. I'm so impressed. Sorry, go ahead. So I think that the interesting aspect of that handoff is we not only that we have that generational piece to it, but it's apparent that the, the, the this new the handoff occurs in a world where that prior generation has almost mythic status because Luke, the name Luke Skywalker gets thrown around and somebody's like I thought he was a myth. Mm-hmm. You know he this is this legendary person that people have spoken of in such a way, but he's not he's not present. He's not there day to day involved. There's not this relationship. So it's the way those come together. It's not just like, oh, okay, here's these people that were training to take over, you know, sort of like in uh, the Star Trek generations, but it's two different worlds that have now started to overlap and the story just bridges from one to the other and we see where they, they, they cross. And to me, that worked really, really well. And I, I will really say, like that too. Yeah. I'd, say, I'd say I'm going to attribute that to, to the writing and to, again, I'm going to, take some of this off J.J. Abrams because he was not a writer on either of those Trek films. Um, and I think that's a, I think it's a bold choice and a smart choice they made here with this to have with Force Awakens, we've got specific writers. We had Lawrence Kasdan who was back, you know, writing this. But moving forward, we've got somebody else. We've got Ryan Johnson. And these these stories have been signed you know, years ago. So it's not just, oh, we're going to do this. Let's see what happens next. Where I think with Star Trek, it's like, let's throw this out there, see if it sticks. Okay. I don't know that that sequel was planned into darkness. I don't know enough of the development behind it, but here we know that there is definitely a long-term scaled plan for these stories. Cause we have not only episode seven, eight, nine, but these little one-offs that are going to tie in and feed into that. So I have this, sort of assurance that I know that there's already a, a thoughtful intent to the design of this storytelling arc mm-hmm. that I can count in. So I'm not, I'm not concerned or worried about that of getting another story. That's just, Oh, it's empire strikes back again, you know, for our, our next episode, we're in a distinctly different place, but again, with some familiar tropes that we're, we're going to see. So I'm, I'm excited about this this handoff and how it occurred in the, the rich world that they've really developed here. It all sounds like our faith in what's happening here is really an answer to Tommy's earlier question of what they've done here in the retelling of the story is trying to wash our our taste buds of the people that weren't happy with one, two, three. And I think that's right. I mean, we really believe that they're going to take it in a different direction. And I, I think so too. Um, uh, but I, I, I understand how people might not get the right impression based on the story here. Much of the um, of the custodianship of this film is is dependent on how you feel about our our heroic tr- trio, and I think all of us are are uh, fairly tight with our, our the trio we grew up with: Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia. Uh, the new uh, the new team that we have here: we've got uh, um, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and Oscar Isaac. Uh, on the uh, on the light side, uh, how do they hit you? Uh, these young actors uh, in their roles as um, as the trio in the Force Awakens. 
I really liked him. I got nervous, uh, and it's to his credit because he starts very scared. Sorry, I should start with the lead. Uh, John Boyega as Finn, FN, who becomes Finn. He became very charming, very funny, very relatable um, as the film went on. For the first, probably, I have no idea how much. I got a little bit worried that he seemed a little stiff, a little bit not very much fun. But he was great. I thought Oscar Isaac, I love no matter what he does. And so I thought he was fantastic, even when he was a little bro-ish at times. And I <laughs> who, talk, like, who talks first? You talk first? Do I talk first? You talk first. That was the first, when that happened, that's when the film started to, and I know that's not too much into it. That's when the film started to come alive to me of like, oh, J.J. Abrams yeah. is directing this. Yep. That was like a Joss Whedon touch of yep. like, take a trope and turn it on its head and make it relatable and like with real people. Um, and I liked, I don't, who, who played Ray? Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley. I thought she was. I, I liked all of them. I'll cut, cut it short. I thought it, by the end of the film, I liked all of them, and I wanted to see them do more things uh, in this universe. So that's probably the best compliment I can give. I want to zero in a little bit on Finn, uh, if only because as much as I'd like to talk about Oscar Isaac, he's he, in this film. I think he's kind of a utility player, and mm-hmm. you know we didn't get a whole lot of depth. But Finn, what an interesting thing to show us. Um, to to use him as a tool to define what betrayal means in this era of the First Order. I thought that was really interesting, that we actually get to see a labor dispute, essentially, in this film. And I, I loved what it allowed us to see in terms of his character, because so much of this, even the... the um, you know, the when we're introduced to uh, Kylo Ren, uh, played by Adam Driver, and his relationship with his father. This is a father-son story that's about a son that got whipped up into a cult. And and so this cult, uh, there are, you know, there are constraints around this cult. And so he can't get away from it. But in fact, Finn, in his role, could. And uh, and I thought that ended up being a really interesting nuance on the, uh, the sort of A New Hope uh, storyline that we have already kind of talked about. And anybody else see that? Am I alone? I love that you caught that. I, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that in depth uh, about the the contrast between what's going on between Kylo Ren and Finn there. Um, but I, I love both of them. I, I thought Adam Driver did a great job. I've, I've never seen him before that I remember on screen that's as Kylo Ren. And Finn was interesting. I, I got nervous a couple times when he was sort of kind of put in the corner to give us reaction shots. <laughs> about yeah. the, he, he he screamed in happiness really well but then I remembered that that's a big part of the early Star Wars movies is their uh, their effusive joy about being able to solve these impossible situations and and again it, it felt like a J.J. Abrams homage I think that's an interesting part of the story that you bring up Pete that I hadn't considered in terms of uh, complication in uh, looking at what's going on with the First Order In A New Hope we're introduced to Darth Vader as sort of the he he's not really a guy in power and the political machine doesn't really consider him much of a threat right i mean they they sort of go must talk and kind of goes and does his thing on the death star and and darth vader everybody's kind of scared out of him because it's a dark helmet thing but but generally they 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 didn't give him we, we aren't shown as darth vader being much in terms of the political machine in a new hope right and in this film I think we have a very similar kind of divide between the military and the the first order that is led by Snoke. Or, uh, I think that's his name. Supreme Snoke. Leader Snoke. Supreme yeah. Leader Snoke. Uh, but we we get much more authority in terms of the the religious prominence here, and I think even symbolically, Snoke's 
presence on screen is seven stories high, right? I mean, that's all Mm. we see of him is just how big a presence he as a religious leader has in this film. Symbolically, that really resonated with me in terms of the power of the cult, the power of the cause uh, that I think we're we're seeing on screen. I found that fascinating. That's why I think... It, this story is going to go a different direction because I think the big bad in number nine is not going to still be the military like it was the big bad in number six, right? With yeah. Return of the Jedi. I think the big bad in number nine or the direction that we seem to be going is the religion and the and the battle between religions here in the light side and the dark side. I, that's the faith that I have that Snoke is going to become the big bad and 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 the what is the death star is really going to be a lot more uh, essential to life as we look at the Star Wars cinematic universe. It was interesting to see the direction the story is going because it is definitely what I enjoyed about it was coming back to that getting away from the political side of it that I felt the the episodes 1, 2 and 3 got tied up with the Senate and the Trade Federate I mean all that stuff that I was like, Ugh, I don't want any of that and it comes <laughs> So what we get is, yeah, in terms of the, the transition, because as, as uh, JJ pointed out, that in episode four, New Hope, you know, I, which I just watched recently, there's a scene where you've got all these, you know, military leaders around a, a table in the Death Star. And the one guy's like, oh, you know, this is the ultimate power in the universe. And Darth Vader talks about the Force. He's like, oh, you don't scare us with your sorcerer's ways. And it's like, they just, he's like this little, you know, wizard sorcerer guy over on the side that they don't even take seriously. That dynamic is definitely shifted where it's not the military allowing him to be there because they need, you know, Snoke. It's, mm-hmm. He's driving this now. It's, he is, it's his vision, his puppetry, whatever is going on there, it's all brought this together. Uh, for you know, we don't know how the first order came about specifically, or and how this structure is come, you know, played out. We get pieces of it, where Snoke's come from, what his ultimate game plan is. But I'm excited to see that because we we do have this big bad that is not the nameless military, uh, and this it's really going to be the showdown. We've got we've got Luke and Snoke to see where where things go down this light versus dark, which I found interesting so much is those phrases getting put in there so much of people talking about focusing on the light. Um, I don't recall that from, you know, new hope Jedi and, and empire. It was, you know, there was, you know, Darth, Darth Vader, there was this, but the force, but here we had a lot of light and dark terminology that I've, I found of interest to see being thrown around by the characters. The father-son uh, discussion, uh, I think, is also an interesting one. And I I, I almost, I, I feel like I, I'm imagining, um, a, you know, a, a note on the last day that, that uh, Mark Hamill writes, uh, Dear Harrison, guess who's in episode eight? <laughs> Love, Mark. Uh, it, it just, <laughs> just, I walked out of the theater just cracking up at that. Uh, what we get in this film is the the loss of one of our beloved icons of science fiction cinema in the death of Han Solo. Did anybody see it coming? Oh yeah. I totally didn't. What? Well, <laughs> I didn't see it coming. I can you believe it? I was flabbergasted. That threw I my head. I guess the question back. is did you see it coming because you knew Harrison Ford's always kind of wanted out. I mean, he wanted to die in Empire Strikes Back and he right. my my impression is that, you know, Her, you know, at that time 
Han Solo was so popular, like, oh, we can't kill him. We'll, we'll find a way to bring you back. And I don't think he was ever a fan of having to come back for Return of the Jedi. I think he wanted to have been frozen. That was it. Um, and so I think that, you know, a great way for JJ and team to have convinced him to come back is saying, hey, you know what? We're finally going to kill you off. And I mean, and, and in my head, I was always kind of convinced that, oh, well, they're, they're going to finally kill Han Solo off because that's what he's always wanted to do. So I didn't see it coming, but I uh, really, I guess I wasn't surprised. And I, I thought they did it in a really strong way. I saw it coming. I didn't know all that background about him wanting off and whatnot. But as they're all running around the Star Killer, just as though in uh, in A New Hope, everybody was running around the Death Star. I I imagined that there was going to be another Obi Wan scene. I didn't know who it was going to be with. But if you think about the story, it makes a whole lot of sense, right? So Ray is a scavenger, and her uh, and she's also a pilot and she, and Chewie likes her and, uh, and she can fly the Millennium Falcon. So her guru is, is Han Solo. So as soon as they get to that scene and everyone stops to look just like they did on, in A New Hope, it, of course, he's the new Obi-Wan. He's the Obi-Wan for Rey that, uh, Obi-Wan was for Luke. So I, I, as soon as they started setting that scene up, it was the scene that I expected for the 15 minutes leading up to it. And you know what? My inner 12 year old hates you, Andy. I didn't know any of that stuff. And knowing that Han Solo didn't want to be Han Solo, that makes me sad. <laughs> it's not that true. He, he didn't want to be it. He <laughs> wanted he to just, end on a, he just a felt note. like, you yeah. know, I've, I've done this character. I, you know, it's not, it's not strong to keep this character going. I think it was more like that. It's not like, Oh, I'm done being this crazy character so my, wrong, inner, my inner 12 year old just heard you say blah 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 sad other if we're doing <laughs> real quick um star wars trivia i only know one thing do you know where the name star killer came from i assume you guys do it was yes. originally luke's original. star killer right right yeah i know shut up foster that was my dog my yeah, dog of course yeah that. no that's right. bad dog all right <laughs> 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 i just woke him up <laughs> Good oh, terrible! <laughs> I do think it was uh, it was appropriate the the way we lost Harrison. I thought that was really uh, artfully done, and uh, but it it does lead to a conversation about about Kylo Ren and his his uh, role. I mean, here we have an interesting thing that that it's it's this uh, sort of dark Jedi, uh, this not Sith, right? I mean, we, no, no right. mention of Sith was brought up as far as I know, but he's he's a dark Jedi. Uh, and his training in this case was not complete. He's the one who had to face his father. So they took that whole Luke's journey of of um, discovery and they gave it to the dark character. And I have to tell you, I even was so hopeful in this sequence that the father could turn the son and and recover him from this the, his sort of mm. cultural loss. That when he took off the helmet and started crying, I was hopeful. I thought, I think he's done it. I think Han Solo has just brought Ben back, and uh, yeah. and then they didn't. Did you? Did anybody find uh, Kylo's Kylo Ren's character a, a sort of um, uh, dark side in a microwave? What's that in mean? this film? He was pushed along as the the big bad guy, uh, but given too many uh, hints that he was not ready to be the big bad guy yet. Uh, and just pushed along really, really fast. I thought, I, and and you know, I I think Adam Driver. I was really impressed with how he handled that. I mean, they let us in. So turning that struggle on its head, like you talked about, seeing the dark side person being tempted. He actually used that word, right? Tempted by the light side mm-hmm. in his self reflection. And I, 
he did such a great job of it in this simple microwave, as you describe it, Pete, where you look at in one, two, three, Hayden Christensen went through the same thing in deadpan for three movies and never, never really, never Never really really got got there. there, Right. (laughs) I mean, for me personally, I I was just not happy with Hayden Christensen ever in one, two and three. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Adam Driver did it in maybe 40 minutes of screen time in this episode. I, I was really happy with that. And I thought that was really effective. Um, I didn't have the same faith that you did, Pete, that he was going to bring him back. But um, but at the same time, it was a great scene and really well done by the actors. I have to re-see the movie too because I think I did really enjoy his acting by the end. But it was tough because he was so cool with the helmet on and so scary. And then when he took his helmet off, and I also have not seen – what's his name? Adam Driver? Yeah. Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. And when he had like that hipster shaggy haircut, I was like, Ugh, I don't care for this at all. It was like Darth <laughs> Vader takes off his helmet and it's like a Mumford and Son underneath. I, <laughs> I had trouble with it. But then like now that I know that that's the way it's going, I think he did some really delicate work. It was just tough. I'm just not used to the big bad guys, quote unquote, taking off their helmets like that. Well, especially because we had to earn it so far. You know, in in the first trilogy, we had to earn it. Yeah. Like, it, it took a long time to get Darth Vader's head off. And I've, I've never liked the way that uh, Adam Driver looked. But he's just a really goofy guy. And Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I've just, if when uh, trying to look at him as the as the bad guy, I also had a hard time. <laughs> Tommy, you're not alone. Okay, um, As much as I love his character, and I think he does a great job here. Yeah, I mean, I felt like they at least could have done something different with his hair or something. I mean, and maybe it's just because, you know, he's he plays characters that I, I don't always like. Like, what was that movie that he was just in with, uh, was it What If? No, While We're Young. That's the one that he was just in with Ben Stiller. Like, his character right. made me so crazy right. in that movie. And, um, well, and you were a big, fr- <laughs> big fan oh, of Francis Ha, Francis right? Ha. Oh, I just despise <laughs> that film. Um, and uh, and uh, Inside Lewin Davis, I mean, he's briefly in that. I mean, I, I like him as a character I, yeah. I, or as an actor. It's just he has this goofy look. And and I don't think they I, – I agree. I think they could have made his hair look a little more intimidating or something. something. But. I got that he was supposed to be like he's the scared kind of pasty kid who's trying to live up to his father or grandfather's legacy, whatever that is. But, yeah, that was that was rough for me. I had trouble getting over that. I, I had trouble for just a second. I think everything that we lost in his hair, we made up in his voice yeah. and his delivery. I think he was no, really my, Yeah, my complaints good. are very small. I mean, I think that he really pulled it off. An, an incredible scene there. See, to yeah. me, I, I thought it was pretty clear he wasn't going to be the big bad because, and it's it's earlier on, I, at some point when they've informed him they've lost the droid or something, and he pulls out his lightsaber and just throws a tantrum. And just, love just love you know, yeah. he, he, we see it like twice. He has these huge like fits and tantrums and cranks out the lightsaber and just is like a little kid throwing a fit. And we've got two stormtroopers that start to come down the hallway. They turn so the funny. corner and they just see like debris coming out of the doorway. And they're like, uh, let's go back the other way. And to me, I thought, okay, this is somebody who's not matured in the force. There's something going on, but clearly it's some, it's not our big bad because there's that restraint and control that the big bad is going to have. So for me, I was like, okay, I'm curious who this character is, who is this person that has all this power, but clearly doesn't have the ability to restrain himself. He's a teenager. Yes, exactly. He's a teenager of the force. Yeah, exactly. But you know, clearly his power is way ramped up. I mean, how cool is that scene that initial scene out on the, out on Jakku where somebody shoots a blaster at him and he's just like, okay, I'm just going to hold that there. 
for a while, and it's just awesome. going to stay there. For the duration yes. of the sequence. That was Although unreal. I got to say, I was a little disappointed that he didn't put somebody in front of that and then release it. I kept expecting <laughs> him to do that. It, that, that. That was like a setup with no payoff. I kept expecting him to do that with uh, Max von Sydow's character or something. Uh, I was like, mm. come on. Use yeah. it. It's sitting there. <laughs> you're you're kind of a kind of I a am. dark guy. <laughs> kill him, kill him. <laughs> there there are some other specific characters I want to talk about, but I want to skip to uh, one in particular, Captain Phasma, <laughs> played by the great Gwendolyn Christie. She's on Game of Thrones? Uh, yes. She's on Game of Thrones and she's a badass on Game of Thrones. So she's we, fantastic. It's distracting that they would hire someone that's known for being a badass on another show for such a weird dumb character. And make her such a well. She's a, Am she's I alone? A, she like, seems she like she was... only exists so they can make the trash compactor joke. I was really disappointed exactly. that she was not the one who confronted him on the planet when they had the the he, when he battled with the other stormtrooper and, and with yep. that super cool should have been you know, taser weapon. Um, why wasn't should have been her? her exactly? They put her in a featured stormtrooper role that you just expect her with the shiny tin suit She's to be central somebody to on the movie with. poster. And that's because she she is. Cool, it's though. bizarre. I have a feeling. I I'm, can only hope that she's going to be back in a bigger <sighs> way in the upcoming films. Of the original, just a quick comment on the original cast uh, that was in this film, uh, including Anthony Daniels and Peter Mayhew. Who, uh, wow, that dude looks every bit Chewbacca <laughs> as he did, you know, thirty years ago. That was amazing. Like we, he, when he's not in, he doesn't gray at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. Like he just doesn't look like he moves as as well. But I, he looked great in this film. Just that he just I think he didn't look like an old Chewbacca. Is what I'm saying. And I liked that you know you know Chewbacca got shot. I mean, there were things that happened here that I, I really enjoyed, and I loved that little bit with Chewbacca and the uh, the d- woman fixing him up. That was hilarious. Oh, that was hilarious. oh, you're so brave. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. That was so great. And Warwick Davis actually pops up in here too, as some character named Wallavan, and I don't even remember who that is. But it's great that he was back in there too. Oh, you know, I need to say this out loud because I, I may have, um, I, I don't want to step in it, but it turns out there is a uh, Junus yeah. Suotamo was the uh, Chewbacca double, and maybe that's why he uh, Peter Mayhew looks so good as Chewbacca is that he's not because <laughs> Junus was doing the much physical of the film. Because Junis was doing a lot of the They should have given stuff. Harrison yeah, Ford that's... a Harrison Ford double for his running. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is a Han Solo oh. double, just so you know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Finn real quick, I do have to say there was one line in there that I felt, I was like, is this like a, a line that they actually wrote or is this something that he just threw out on set as improv and they kept it? But he actually says, droid, please, at one point. And it's like, that felt yeah, that way too... Not in the universe of Star way, Wars. Way too, yeah, stuck in, in our dialect. I was like, oh, boy. that that If anything stuck in my cry, it was that one line. It was the part where he's trying to convince uh, BB-8 to give Ray the, uh, the location of the rebel base. Ah, uh, right. I thought it was great. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I'll be, I'll be that guy. And uh, now, I, I, at least we know um, why Mark Hamill is not on the poster. Yeah. Because right? he's just right. still staring at each other on that hillside for 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it's a scene from The Bachelor. Uh, I, I actually found structurally that... <laughs> I've, actu- I've actually shot that scene from The Bachelor. Really? Seriously. <laughs> the rose on top, on top like of the Capitol Records building. <laughs> yes. Uh, I actually found structurally that this film, uh, as a cliffhanger, was yeah. perfect. Because of the literal cliffhanger? Is that too much? Oh. Because of the literal cliffhanger. 
I I enjoyed that because I was expecting what we typically get, which is, you know, Death Star, Star Killer explodes, everybody comes back on the planet, and then it's like the cast is together and like whoop, credits roll. But we had a classical like little denouement of things moving on. Where where does this go next? It wasn't just yay, we we killed the the planet and imploded it. Uh, we got something that went along. And I thought, oh, how there's there's more to tell, and that was interesting way to do that. That was not sort of the traditional way to end a, a Star Wars film. It, it gave us a little bit more, which I really enjoyed. It was a, a nice breather to just sort of get myself back together after all of the action going on to just get back to the characters because that tells me that's what this is about. It's not just about, you know, all the big action and explosions. It's really about these characters and relationships. And to me, that really help drive that point home by having that there as opposed to starting the next film. And I have to think that mm-hmm. Leia had a little chat with Ray before she hopped in the Millennium Falcon to fly all the way across the galaxy to go see. Because why didn't Leia why go? Did see, wasn't she at all interested <laughs> in seeing her brother again but after all to, these years? I mean, years? I have to believe that, I mean, and may, call me crazy, but I, I feel like Ray is clearly Luke's daughter. And, what? Uh, oh, no, no, no. And uh, I totally Ray, Ray is. is. I, well, I think she is. Hypothetical and, spoilers. Exactly. And I, I think that Leia had to have some conversation with her before she took off to go fly all the way across the galaxy to go meet this guy. Because it just is so weird that she's like, okay, you, Chewbacca, and R2-D2, you're the only three to go on this trip. It's a weird uh, group. I agree yeah, with it's that. It's a strange group, yeah. yeah. Well, what were you thinking, JJ? That it was. It was oh, j- I j- uh, about the twinsies thing? I just think it's. I mean, it's too makes too much sense if you think about the family. But I hadn't thought about her being Luke's daughter. That's a that's an interesting idea for a hypothetical spoiler as well. In, instead of brother and sister, it's cousins. Look out. Mm-hmm. About that last the denouement. I like the denouement. Um, but I was joking about that shot. I think I'm going to go back and see it. I'm seeing it on Christmas Eve. I've already bought the tickets for it for a full, like a full family feature. Um, I think that shot's kind of bad. The pull out and the the aerial there. The, the yeah, it, they could have done it better, which, of course, that's kind of what I do. So I'm frustrated with it, but I'm going to watch it again and see if it makes sense. It, it leads me into a conversation that I don't know if this is the right time to have it with us, though, is that this film really felt a lot more like television. And I made the joke about The Bachelor. It, the, the shots in general didn't feel cinematic. The camera was really close specific on the action. And I, I think that's it, it took away from the epic nature of this movie. I didn't find this movie epic at all, but I don't have a problem with that. And I think that one of the things you said earlier, Pete, in walking out of this movie, it made you appreciate one, two, and three more in that they were different. What I feel like if you look at four, five, and six, the magic of four, five, and six is it's this great fairy tale that marries epic and action, an epic movie with an action movie in a science fiction universe. What they did in one, two, three is they remembered the epic nature of four, five, and six. And they had these huge giant shots of the Senate doing the stamp act and the planets and these weird things and Jar Jar's world and all this stuff. And they remembered epic, but they forgot action and story. 
Well, what we've found here in seven is we have the story, but they kind of left the epic behind. We started out with some of the static shots at the beginning of the film with the scavengers in the desert and stuff like that. But as we got into the action, as we walked through the action, we left that behind in this film and it wasn't a problem. But I feel like if you siphon those two parts of four, five, and six, the magic of four, five, and six, if you can't do both, you make a decision. And here they did a great job of making it story, uh, a story driven piece that really was filmed in a televisual way. Um, there aren't a whole lot of epic shots that I can remember in the film that weren't computer generated. There were a couple that I was happy with, but for the most part, everything that I saw, including that last wraparound, it's like something I've seen on TV, not like something I've seen in a movie. And it, it might be the nature of the way they shot it, or it might be just the choices they made in putting those shots in the film. So that, that was kind of my feeling about it. I'm still happy with the choice, but it's different. Are you talking about the shots in particular or just like the feel of uh, like an epic space battle sort of sh- scene? Yeah, well, a little bit of both of that. I, I feel like, you know, at the beginning when we're on the sand planet, there was a lot of that. But as we left it, as we went to the action <laughs> scenes, as we as we have the the contrasting of the space battle and then the Obi-Wan redux on Starkiller going back and forth, if you look at the difference between the way it is shot in The Force Awakens versus the way it's shot in A New Hope, everything seemed wider, bigger, more intense, more open, more epic in A New Hope. Here it was more focused on the the direct, the focus of the scene. When you see um, them doing the trench run, for example, you're in it with a tight shot for everything. You don't have that wide shot of the three tie, tie fighters coming and and seeing the battle as it happens in an epic way. I, I, I just think that was a difference here. And that might be the way that film is going right now or the way that we want to point towards this thing. I just, I, I'm happy with the decision. I just think that it's different. Well, I think I, I, I can I, I can see your point, although I think some of it was some interesting stuff that I noticed in this that I don't think they, they were doing back in, like in the days of New Hope, where when you had the shots of the ships flying by, it was models, and, and you would see yep. these models flying by, and then later they replaced those. Um, but here, I mean, I specifically noticed some really interesting shots where it was almost like GoPros attached to the side of the X-Wing as you were flying down into the mm. whatever whatever the comparable trench run is here, whatever that thing is that they were trying to blow up. And you see it coming down as, as they're dropping their their bombs and flying through the explosions from the ship that went uh, that dropped the bombs ahead of it. All of that. Uh, and, and so I think that they were playing with some of the new uh, toys the new technologies to create some more interesting shots in those scenes. So I, I kind of disagree with you. I felt it was quite epic and I really enjoyed the way they shot it. Uh, it just, it, it definitely had a different feel to it, but I still found it just as epic. I think, I think I agree with JJ and Andy. So great. Uh, but I, JJ, in the way that when you said the things are changing, that we're getting better at some filmmakers are, some are still terrible, but to his credit, when really big, action scenes were happening, I really knew where everyone, I felt like I knew where everyone was and where things were relating to each other. Unlike they could ever do in the original three, four, five, and six, we're calling them. You would see a, you could see a, what are the bad guys ships called? TIE fighters? Yes. A TIE fighter. Oh my God. Shush. You would see a bad guy ship. (laughs) I'm going to say bad guy ship now, just out of spite. You'd see a bad guy ship get shot down by an X-wing. Suck it. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> shot down by an X-wing, uh, by by people that we were following, like Poe in the air, and then you would cut to the land battle and see that same bad guy ship fly into the ground while it goes to a gliding shot of people fighting on the ground. Like that's the kind of stuff you could never do before, and so that makes it really exciting, and you can really sort of 
capture what's going on where everything leads to someone else. And they had already set up set up that interestingly. I think just talking about the mechanics of the ships, you know, when when uh, Poe and uh, uh, Finn are crashing in the in their Tie Fighter, you get to follow it essentially all the way down, right? I mean, you get to see it kind of go down, and then we see that there was apparently mechanics around a parachute, uh, an ejection mechanism which we'd never seen before. They usually just kind of poof and fire and disappear. Um, like there was a lot of debris in this movie that was really new, and that felt expansive to me too. You know, that was really cool and i'm sorry i'm gonna take your point and pretend that it was mine uh it was so neat to see like what happens when people have star fights in star fights star fights in the space of like that yeah there's tons of litter there's crash stuff everywhere and that was the whole at jakku or whatever the sand planet was that's like that whole planets or at least that area that we saw that's the economy is based around that Right, right. And and even down to the individual, when Finn is disrobing on the planet, he just drops his stormtrooper stuff on the desert, and, and that then becomes currency. I thought that was really neat. Which I thought was, I thought that was really neat. I, I love that. Well, and even that one ship that, that crashes as they're doing their chase around, you've got those scavengers right there already, like right. running in to rip it apart. I love that. Yep. The, the cinematography was done by Dan Mendel. Have we talked about him ever? I mean, he's done some, he, he's been with J.J. Abrams for some time. I mean, he did both of the Star Treks uh, but, uh, and MI3. Uh, but he also did John Carter. I know there are some mixed reviews. Uh, Domino, which I, I liked quite a bit, uh, all the way back to Spy Game with uh, Redford and Brad Pitt, which was terrific, and uh, and so he's been he's been around a while, and and I think you know for me I the thing I was looking for going into this cinematographically was is it going to look like Star Trek? JJ just did that, and how much lens flare are we going to have? And you know that's that's really putting it kind of scandalously, but I I feel like that was a great success that it doesn't look like Star Trek. It really, it felt like Star Wars, but for me, introduced me to uh, pieces of Star Wars that I I had never been so intimately introduced to, and so I felt like that was a great success. And Pete, to your point, I think I I also was looking for the lens flares, and I realized this was more um, J.J. Abrams being respectful of Star Wars because it's it's not a reboot where he's creating something anew. He's continuing on, and we can discuss. You know, we've discussed whether it's a, a bit of a reboot, but to me, it was that balance of I have to be tied to this pre-existing piece, but I can still make it my own. I can still do a little bit with it and and, and do some things. And I think part of it is the scope and scale of things that the rebels are not a huge force of you know hundreds of thousands. And even the First Order, I don't have a strong sense that they're, you know, this army of millions. We did have one shot of, you know, they're they're coming together to celebrate, you know, outside. We do see that there are quite a few of the stormtroopers lined up. But I did appreciate it didn't get to the scale of, as, as Tommy will often talk about, let's just put cameras in places because we can. And let's have all right. this stuff going on where it's it's fake things, blowing up fake things, and it's just overwhelming you know that to it me, wasn't that's not, overly fussy right and it, to me that's not epic that's just visual noise where i can't keep track of stuff and this to me it kept it grounded and rooted really well uh to, to do that so in terms of is it epic or not i 
I, I, I think it has a slightly different feel than, you know, because I've just watched four, five, and six. Yes, yeah, cinematically, there it has a different feel to it, but I, I enjoy it. it. They're doing some things that I found interesting. To me, the most notably, the thing that I did not expect was when Ren goes to touch Luke's lightsaber and we have, oh, yeah. like, flashback, flashback, dream thing. What, you know, sure. like, what is going on? We've not had anything we're where what we're seeing is within someone's head. We've always been camera as outside observer of these things. This is the first time we had we transitioned into someone's thoughts. And I like think that, that was done well. What about Empire Strikes Back where he goes into the cave? Possibly. But again, that's it could be it could be taken both ways. To me this is very clear that these were flashes of things that were being communicated to her mentally or within her mind uh, or memories because it seems like there were also some of her memories there. So we were getting lots of, of different things. And to me, I, I I enjoyed that. It was completely unexpected. It worked well. It was a way of communicating, I think, some interesting information uh, to see Luke with R2-D2. We had, you know, it, it filled in a little bit of the gaps, but not so much that we, we knew everything, but to just tease at, at pieces of things that we may be seeing play out. We saw uh, Luke with R2-D2. Oh, Metal Hand. Yeah, yes. that was the cloaked figure. Oh, neat! Yes. I didn't even catch Old that. I really hand. loved yeah. that sequence, Steve. So thank you for bringing that up. My favorite shot of the film was as the camera's tracking away, and Finn and Ray are running away from. This is early in the film as they're running away from oh. the encampment, and yeah. things are exploding, and they're yelling at each other, and BB-8 is rolling behind them, and the camera's tracking away. That was really cool. I don't think I've seen anything too much like that before. We were talking about J.J. Abrams okay. and visual tics like the lens flare. I felt like, and you guys can remind me because I haven't seen the four, five, or six in a long time. I felt like his only visual tick this time was having every act-in shot that took place aboard a bad guy ship had four stormtroopers awkwardly trotting towards nowhere in particular. <laughs> like there was like 1,900 <laughs> shots of that. Is that constant in the four, five, and six? They're on patrol. They're just on patrol. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, a lot of patrol on their own star base. They would just wander around patrolling it. Yeah, where are they when going? You have, yeah. When you have a planet, an actual planet that is a weapon, they have a lot of getting from one place to the other. <laughs> Point. What's your? That's a good point, I, I, Andy. Like, what's your? What is your take on the Star Killer base versus the Death Star? You know, they're all so silly. I don't really. It, it doesn't bother me at all. I think. I mean, you know, I it's it's kind of a joke for at least for me in uh, some circles how people in the Star Wars universe they always end up in the exact right spot to do the things that they need to do when they're landing on these things that are the size of a moon or now in this case the size of a freaking planet they always are a, a right where they need to be and the people that they need to get to all conveniently are within uh, walking distance and they're I, super I, smart people they're it's super just smart so funny it just is the way that uh, you know it's the, it's part of the universe i accept that as part of the universe i really don't have a problem but i find it so funny the deus ex machina of R2 waking up right at the right time to show everyone oh, that. exactly. <laughs> I thought he was just buffering. <laughs> that was a little bit much to, for me, too. Like, the, they couldn't just give him the other plans. Like, they had to have both robots kind of intersect their graphics in the sky. Like, that That was a little... If there was a thing that was too much for me, I think that would have been it. So that's saying pretty... Well, and that, that's especially in episode, uh, was it two, where where Obi-Wan has to track down the whatever planet where they're making all the clones and Yoda and he are looking in that room with all the stuff and, and Yoda's like, oh, there's a planet that's not there or whatever. And they have that freaking map. It's a huge map. with it, Clearly, they've mapped the entire galaxy back then 
why is there all of a sudden this one little section of the galaxy that C-3PO looks at and is like, oh, but it's not a section of the galaxy I've ever seen before. It's like, you guys have already tracked the entire galaxy. I, I yeah. didn't understand why that one section all of a sudden, oh, but that's, that one's not. Except that. Yeah. 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 And by the way, this is my little one second thing. Was it just me or was C-3PO's voice pitched up slightly higher than it has been in the previous films? <laughs> I swear his voice was high. I honestly, I did not notice. He's going through robot puberty. <laughs> <laughs> and their voice goes up in puberty. John Williams. My two uh, cry, two of the specific cry scenes that I had in the film were the first when you revisit the theme as you see the Millennium Falcon. That was awesome. That was the first part that yeah. I like giggled and cried and everything that was great. And then the subtle variation on the theme as she reaches the lightsaber to Luke at the end. Just awesome. And, it, it, you know, we look back at the original Star Wars movies and a lot of the stuff that John Williams has done. And it just reminds you of really great themes and how they can be used right. I, I, I loved when those came back and and it, it, it was the familiarity of those things that really made it powerful for me in this movie. As much as I loved his music, because I, I, it was a brilliant score, um, but I was disappointed, I will say, that I didn't walk away humming any new themes. Sure. That's, that's, that makes sense. That was, yeah, that was the big, uh, uh, the point for me that I was a little bummed at. I, I actually, I feel like they're there. I just don't feel like they stood out to me because I was probably paying attention so much to the old themes that I love so much. So I'm actually wanting to go see it again and really kind of pinpoint some of those themes for the new characters. You you should because it's they're really good. And I we actually have had it just kind of running in the background of the house today the, the on kind of repeat the the soundtrack or the score and it's really lovely and that's one thing I wanted to to say that um in the past I think John Williams when he is reviving his own scores sometimes uh is operating I think at a bit of a defi- deficit when it comes to originality of of new themes that come out of it and I think this one uh it, it really showcases that the man has still got it like he's he's really very uh very good and the score is uh, um is has just enough of an homage to the original and a whole boatload of new original stuff that I think works really well, not only in the film, but just as, as listenable symphonic music. It's beautiful. I hope he's around for episodes eight and nine. If he's not, I feel like at least um, they've kind of spiritually accepted that uh, Michael Giacchino would be the, the follow, yeah. follow up. And yeah, of course, Michael Giacchino was a stormtrooper in this one. That's right. That's right. Lots of cameos. Daniel Craig was a stormtrooper. Do you Rumored know which be- stormtrooper he was? No. Rumored to be the uh, one that uh, she uh, mind controls to yes. set, set her free. Oh, that's fun. Was that actually his voice? No. no. If it is, he's doing a good American voice. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Uh, I, I really like I really like that scene. And drop your and drop your weapon. <laughs> yes. And drop my weapon. <laughs> which which gets to my my little one thing, which is the strong female characters in this film. There was a video a, a cut going out uh, probably earlier this month. Uh, somebody had gone through the original trilogy and cut together all the uh, dialogue from female characters that aren't Leia. And that whole video, even with its little title shot and all that, is only one minute and 32 seconds long. Oh, no. So <laughs> You know, I, I will say, the thing that bothers me about these videos, and I'm just saying this as a point because these oh. videos really piss me off. Don't, don't get me wrong. I... I I understand the point they're trying to make, right. but if you do the same thing with the male voices in a film, yeah. you're going to end up, it's not going to be freaking two hours long. It's going to be... Oh, you know, no, no, no. 
but 10, it's 30 but, minutes or whatever, but, you know. But but what you'll see is I think Empire Strikes Back, there's like one line of dialogue that's not Leia from a female character. It's like there's there's something there's Amperu in A New Hope and like Empire, there's like nothing, and then you've got a couple things in Jedi. But for here to really have not just female characters, but really strong characters, you've got you've got Ray, you've got Captain Phasma, you've got um Maz Kanata, who was played by so and these female characters that are are strong and leaders and people are looking to them where they're in control of something that they have responsibilities they're not just there to be saved or to just fill a plot point they're you know well-rounded characters and to me that was something that i as a you know having two daughters something that i appreciate knowing that they can come to this movie and be connecting and seeing themselves represented in one way or another in this film uh not just i'm gonna go see another action movie that's all guys and boys doing boy and, and guy things uh so to me again seeing this moving forward in this direction and storytelling and having a variety of of roles for for strong women was something i really excited about i could not agree more steve that was one of those things actually seeing it with my daughter and my wife today was just watching how well they connected to it uh i thought was really it, it was just really special i i didn't expect it i i certainly didn't expect it as much of a nerd as i have been about these films over the last 30 <laughs> years Donald gleason is evil he's a great job as the the nazi leader yes. in first yeah. order. you know that's an interesting thing right his scene uh his scene to the first order when the first order gathers on the and uh, the snowy planet as they're about to start sucking in the energy of the sun uh was beautifully like um, Letty propaganda. right beautifully propagandist There's and I, I thought he you, did a JJ. god he did a great job with it before we were to rank this where would everybody put it in their uh, a group of the star wars movie yeah i've been thinking about I, that I, yeah i haven't settled on that yet it's number it, first it, but i'm a weirdo you'd say first the I best one so. for you Cool. Yeah. No, I would say Empire than this. That's that's probably where I am. That's where I've been as I've been floating around for the last day. But I need to see it again. I know, right. yes. Andy, you've seen it twice, right? I've seen it twice now. Right now it's falling third. It would be uh, Empire, Star Wars, this, and then Jedi. Um, I'm not convinced yet. I still have to watch them again. Jedi may end up popping up but i really do like this one quite a bit it's number four for me number four because yeah. wow. i like uh, four five and six I, I think all go in front of it for me oh. but but, yeah, that's, but that's kind of the battle i'm having but that's the magic i mean honestly yeah. i don't know if those movies are really that much better or if i'm just remembering right. you know that's the my nostalgic. feeling yeah. there i yeah. i think it's fair to say that i'm i'm not uh, fully you know uh, objective about it but but this is great and it's better than any of the first three but I just I love four five and six so much there's an interesting comment from uh, Jason Kotke on his um, his blog and his points about the the final film and I think he made an interesting connection that I hadn't thought of uh, he says when Lucas made the first trilogy and when he and Spielberg made Raiders of the Lost Ark he constructed it from a bunch of different sources uh, when, from when he was a kid and in film school with The Force Awakens J.J. Abrams did the same thing, but instead of pulling from Flash Gordon and Kurosawa like Lucas did, he pulled from what he grew up with as a kid and in film school, Star Wars and Spielberg. Uh, and in a way, The Force Awakens is a reboot of the original 1977 Star Wars, similar plot and all, even if it isn't true, a true reboot, it sure does rhyme. That connection 
connection that he makes uh, between what Lucas and Spielberg were working on, working off of as their inspiration, and what Abrams was working off of as his inspiration, uh, really holds true for me. And I, I, um, I felt like I could feel it, just as I have been able to feel it in his other films. Uh, you know, when you look at Mission Impossible, when you look at Star Trek, when you look at even films that he didn't directly direct mm. but produced. You know, uh, uh, Cloverfield, the Abercrombie and Fitch uh, uh, monster movie. Uh, so there, I thought that was a really interesting connection and that's one that that makes me uh, have almost an even greater affinity for this film because uh, it it so deeply reminds me of the sources that I'm working with when I'm thinking about kind of you know films that make an impact on me too they're the films I grew up with and this one feels right at home hand to glove I love that uh, it is uh, I think in terms of numbers wow <laughs> spanking uh, it I, is it gonna is it, it, is it doing okay <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's the latest, Andy? Did you look this one up at all? Uh, last that I saw was, uh, yeah, it, it blew away opening day, the record from opening day, which I think was Harry Potter and the um, uh, Deathly Hallows Part Two. Um, that was at the time that was the the best single day opening at I think ninety one million. This one opening day was one hundred twenty point five million. <laughs> So opening day, it just knocked the socks off of the box office, and it is uh, it's doing really really well. Interestingly, internationally though, it's actually falling behind Jurassic World. So really, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see. Um, yeah, uh, Jurassic World were earned. Uh, yeah, it just did better. I'm trying to find the specifics. I, I don't see them here, but yeah, Jurassic World did uh, more on its uh, opening day internationally. So. That might be because I flew overseas to see it a bunch. <laughs> I hate to pick on it, but it's it's one of these things that I, I wish we could just get down to like total number of tickets because not that this doesn't deserve all this, but how many more IMAX and 3D screenings are there of this? Yeah. Then there was, you know, Deathly Hallows. You've got inflation and all that where I was just so. like, just report how number of tickets sold because everybody knows it's a ridiculous amount, but if, to give us a really fair comparison, because it, it's it, you can have, you know, and you know what's going to happen in a few more years when episode eight comes out. It's going to be the number one, and it's going to because ticket prices will creep up by five or ten percent. And well, and when number nine comes out, films will be in pill form. Exactly. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. I can't wait. But you know, though you can't say, Steve. Like it's it, there. There is undoubtedly a, a freneticism around this film oh, no that doubt. we did not see for Jurassic World. Oh, yes. there's, there's right. no doubt. I mean, this was the, we this certainly was the, have not yeah. seen the same kind of turnout for uh, you know for anything since. And no. and uh, you know, thank God for counter programming. God loves sisters. Uh, and and, and road a, chimp. and Alvin and the chipmunks yeah, yeah. squeak so not the squeakle though yeah, road, road trip chip. road, road chip, chip. chimp That's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, but this is this is certainly I mean to have blown away all those records in yes. pre-sale tickets is yes. something we just that's new. Well, yeah, so, Jurassic oh, World's pre, uh, pre-sale. Well, I don't know if they're pre-sale tickets, but their preview Thursday night preview screenings was eighteen million five hundred thousand. Star Wars was fifty-seven million. Yeah. So, well, let's go ahead. I think, then, uh, gentlemen, and we should rank it once again. It's time to rank the film. Follow us over to Flick Chart. Set the alarm clock on your blaster, cause we gotta wake up the force. Finn and Ray and Poe and BB-8 all will judge upon Flick Chart. Let's go find out where it stands and may the Flick Chart be with you always. <laughs> <laughs>
So oh, that's good. That's yeah, pretty close. Kind of close. That. It was the the last uh, little stanza I think had. There was one because I'm such a child 44 lover. There was one line that I tried to get in and I couldn't make it, which is a train can't undress a droid. <laughs> but I couldn't figure out how to get that in. All right. Uh, okay. Head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board and you can see all the films that we've done. What are we up to now? Like 40? This will this be 41. Be 41 nice. films that we have ranked uh, on this show uh, as a gang of thugs. So uh, start there, pick these 40 movies, see how they stack up, and, and see how they uh, rank against us. Andy? First up, Star Wars The Force Awakens or The Bourne Legacy. Star Wars The Force Awakens. Star Wars. Is it just me? This is this is a total aside, but why, are, why have they taken off episode seven off of everything for this? I don't know. Now it's everywhere I see it's just Star Wars The Force Awakens. Like the episode seven portion of the title is gone. Well, because you don't say Star Wars episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, do you? No, but it's written that way everywhere. It's a restart. That's what I'm saying. It's not written that way anywhere. It's a restart. On my on the on the the, uh, letterboard at the theater, it was IX Star (laughs) Seven. Someone was late to work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Star Wars or Spectre. Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars. Wait, Spectre. Oh, Star- I didn't see Spectre. Star Wars. Star Wars or The Martian. Star the Wars. Martian. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. I said The Martian. I'm alone. You're alone on Mars. You're alone on a little red planet, Tommy. That's I am, okay. but my dog's with me. Yay. <laughs> Star Wars or Kingsman. The Kingsman. Service. Kingsman. Star Wars. Star Wars. Ooh! Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> oh. JJ, you're on my planet. Oh, definitely. Now this is skipping right over edge of tomorrow. Star Wars or Gravity? This is Ooh. Star Wars. This goes right to the the right. comment we had earlier. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So we were talking about this earlier. So on my flick chart, which you can get from thenextreel.com, you can go to mine of all the movies in the next reel that we've seen, not just the film boards, but mm. the ones that I have above uh, <laughs> Gravity are Kingsman and Edge of Tomorrow and Gravity. So, um, yeah, that's that's interesting. That there you go. I'm going to say Gravity. Ooh, I don't know what to say. I love Gravity to pieces. I think it's brilliant. Um Star Wars is a part of a series that I grew up with and I love and and I think they did so much right with this film. Any problems that I have, I am going to very easily find myself dismissing as I continue watching this throughout my life. Um, it has to be Star Wars for me. And me. I'm going to say gravity. <gasps> oh my. It's on you, Steve. It Steve is. Again. So they're both very powerful emotional movies for me. I mean, Gravity was just a tremendous, the amazing experience. But I also was there with Pete during the opening crawl and tears. And just this was a <laughs> so overwhelming of an experience for me and fun. And the fact is, Andy, you point out they did so many things right with this. I mean, there were several times I just wanted to applaud this film for getting it right for everything. And that it's going to be, it's, I'm going to pick this over gravity. This is wow. one of my favorite films of the year. I love this so much. Absolutely. This is so not there the you flick go. chart you're looking for. So what's the name of our, <laughs> our letterbox guy that wrote in? Is it Rakesh? Rakesh. So there you go, Rakesh. Totally appropriate timing for his comment. Thank you, you so much. Was. 
It really was. So there it is. Our new flick chart number one for the TNR film board. Star, Star Wars, Wars The Force Awakens. Yes, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Huzzah! Fanboys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll see 19 now, Marvel movies and we'll Rakesh, disappear. You'll have to you'll have to write in in two years, Rakesh, and see if we still feel the same way. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Set a set an alert. <laughs> Uh, this was a great conversation. Now, the bigger question, uh, how many stars do you give the Star Wars in place number one? Four. Out of what? I'm sorry? Out of five stars. Out of seven stars for you, Tommy. <laughs> Three. <laughs> I'm, I'm a five-star review. If it's, it, it's up there on my, on my top films. It's, number, it's a five-star, totally. Yeah, it's five for me, too. Yeah, five for me. So, Tommy, you said three? Yes, sir. And JJ, you said four? Correct. So we'll see just how well the voice of reason stands up for the three of us (laughs) over the course of the next year. (laughs) Uh, This is a great conversation. Where, uh, Where do we go from here? Uh, well, it, this is the next our next meeting will be in the new year am i right yeah 2016 right at the end of january we're going to be talking about the new uh, craig gillespie film with chris pine the finest hours true story oh, about yeah. uh, the coast guard right yeah coast the coast the brave the was it the some crazily that's ridiculous, it it's the most something <laughs> it's the most something it's a it's a, a rescue by the coast guard um off the coast of uh, new england and it was uh, they had to rescue. I can't remember how many people off of two sinking ships. And so it's uh, yeah, based on that true story. Harrowing adventure m- makes a daring rescue attempt off the coast of Cape Cod after a pair of oil tankers are destroyed during the blizzard of 1952. Oh, I didn't know we had the trailer. That's perfect. <laughs> that's what. That's what they sound like. There's a storm coming. Get your animals in the They tell you. They tell you. They tell you. You gotta go out. They don't tell you you got to come back in. <laughs> Coast Guard, Coast Guard is great. They're so cuddly. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a, a fun one. I look forward to that. That's January. That's in the new year, uh, gentlemen. So that means this is uh, this is a big happy new year, happy holidays. Oh. Uh, yeah. Right. This is. Did anybody uh, do a gift exchange? No. Mm. Mm, silence. With each other. That's on. That's on you, Tommy. Pony no prize. One. No one got I, my ponies. I literally sent you all ponies. Can oh. I? I'm gonna say something right now because this is. I'm just gonna. This is a teaser. I'm gonna say something right now. Um, we have uh, we have a new T-shirt coming nice. for 2015, and I'm telling you, it is the best, the best. Uh, it is once again a, a work from the uh, multi-talented uh, Joel Michael Harris, uh, same guy we did last year, and it's. Fantastic, Andy! Please, I cannot wait to put it on my body. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it is so good! I can't wait to share it with everybody. Please be ready, be listening, because it's going to be coming out any day now, and uh, and we're very excited to share. So, uh, in terms of our top films of 2015, uh, this is this is the one. This is the one to watch. That's all I have. Thanks, everybody. Steve Sarmento, thanks for being here. It's great to complete this podcast in under 14 parsecs. 12. 12. 12. 12. That's right. 12. Tommy Handsome. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year. And JJ. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you, sir. Andy Nelson. We'll talk soon, man. Talk to you on Thursday.
I think that is the cantina theme, isn't it? It is. It's it the is. cantina it theme. It was. It yeah. wasn't until you got to the end. Missed the end part. That's all. Oh, the end yeah. part got, I well, because I never wrote the end. Because I don't know. Go. <laughs> the end I usually make up because I run out of time. <laughs> That's why it always ends with me just screaming some word. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.